be still and know that I am God. I hope over these few days of uh, forced lockdown, you have, have opportunity to, to, to be able to draw aside and, and know the nearness of God in this season. Well, good morning, church. I would much rather be with you in person, looking at your smiling faces. I'm going to imagine those at home unmasked because you are at home. Uh, you can smile back at me and uh, I'm just imagining that as I look down the lens of this camera. So welcome to church. We began our series last weekend called Blessed Beyond All Measure. And it's a reflection on this reality that in Christ we are blessed. In this nation we certainly have so much to be thankful for. Now you might be saying, Jono, what planet are you living on? Because don't you realise we've just been put back into lockdown and we have to wear, we you deal with all these restrictions. Well, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? So often in life, the things that we deal with, we can either be complainers or we can find the things to be grateful for. You know, there'd be millions of people in the world right now willing to trade places with us, saying, I would rather your experiences and your circumstances over what I am dealing with. So I hope that you, even today, amidst the challenges that we're facing right now in Brisbane and beyond, might say, I am blessed beyond all measure. Christ is holding me steady, even in times like this. This is the big idea we're swimming around in these next few weeks, counting our blessings, realizing that's a life-changing experience actually, to stand back and be able to identify the good things God is doing in our lives. It actually positions us to share, as we we're talking about last week. It kind of moves our hands from here, being in that self-protection mode, to being here, living with generosity, living with our hands open, being willing to share the resources that God has blessed us with. And so we started this series last week talking about financial management and our resources and we acknowledge this is an awkward conversation. It is. But just like the birds and the bees when you're growing up and your parents approach that topic, this too, although awkward, is part of growing up. It's part of us becoming a Christ follower and learning to be unselfish and walking in the ways of Jesus. He will call us towards a life of generosity. Now, I say again, this series isn't coming from a place of need. If you're here last weekend, if you tuned in, you know Axis finances are in wonderful shape. So this isn't a plea for help. This series is coming from a place of discipleship, actually, and us getting our lives aligned with the calling of Jesus. Because he's the one that said it. Nobody can serve God and money. Nobody can. Nobody can serve God and money. There'll become a point in your, in your faith journey where you'll face these crossroads and, and, and the question becomes, will I orientate my life around Christ or will I orientate my life around possessions and resources and money and the things that it can bring to me? Because the only way the almighty dollar loses its power over me is when I bow my life before the almighty God, then and only then am I delivered from, the, from that folly that he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, someone said the last thing converted in a person's life is their wallet. But whether that's the first or the last thing converted in our faith experience with Jesus, the reality is it needs a conversion. It needs to, to move me out of selfish mode into generosity mode. And so we began this journey last weekend talking from 2 Corinthians 9 about two unworthy motivations to give or false motivations. We said it's not about covering the church bills. That's not what this is about. It's not about guilt and manipulation. 
And if that's been your experience in church, where you just feel like every time money is addressed, it's just all about guilt and pressure and manipulation, then I'm letting off the hook. Don't give to Access Church. But here's the thing, God won't let you off the hook. If you're a true Christ follower, God will come after you and woo you towards a life of generosity. Those are the false motivations for giving. Good motivations to give or true motivations in order to grow in trust. We noted in 2 Corinthians 9 that this abundance principle that's promised there comes after the generosity. It's kind of as I go out on the limb and trust God and, and with my generosity that he then provides the abundance. The miracles are out on the branches. And it's as a response to a generous father and all he has done for me. And as I scan across the recesses of my life, then I go, well, actually, there's zero evidence of me being a generous person. And the question becomes, am I in the family? Have I, has my heart really been touched by the graciousness of God? But, but I don't need to conjure that up somehow from within. I rather need to connect with the goodness of God and how I've been treated by him. And that will be the thing that triggers generosity in me. So this was last week's message and it prompted so many good sparks, let me tell you. We've had some wonderful conversations this week with various different people as a result of that message. And it reminds me that a sermon isn't a cake, it's just the ingredients. It's not a cake, it's not the finished product, it's just the ingredients. And if a sermon does provide you with all the answers to all your questions, then maybe that sermon is a little bit shallow. A sermon should have you going away going, hmm, that's really made me think. That's really made me wonder about how my behaviour, my actions and my lifestyle choices now align with God and his word and his ways. Old Vance Havner, the fire and brimstone preacher, should, used to say it should leave you a message from God, should leave you sad, mad or glad. But the point is it should, should create a response in you, it should trigger something where you, you go away and go, wow, I've got some homework to do as a result. God's word always ought to move us. And sometimes it provides us with more questions and answers. But this is what it means to, to work out our faith with fear and trembling. This is what it means to be growing, to be wrestling with God and wrestling with his word and, and trying to do our best to, to follow it through. So I want to uh, just touch base on a couple of conversations that we've had this week as a result of last week's message that us kick-starting this series on generosity, which has been just so wonderful. So thank you to those who have, who have taken God's word and, and ran with it and are treating it very seriously. So somebody said the realisation for them dawned after last week's message, that, that money wasn't their issue. They were generous in that regard, but they're not generous at all with their time. They're quite selfish when it comes to their time and how they serve, and they needed to grow that. And that's a wonderful application of this series. It's not just about money, it's about a lifestyle of generosity. So that was a wonderful thing. And, and certainly a great application of the whole point of this series, that if I know I'm blessed, I'm ready to share, I'm ready to be generous with my whole life. And so that's one thing when you're hearing God's word. The, the, the thing is, don't, don't stand there and go, what's Jono's message today? Go, what's Jesus' message today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me through this particular talk? That's, that's the whole deal here. So it's wonderful that that spark came out of a result of last week's message. And I'll have many personal testimonies to share about 
you know, throughout this series about generosity and the way God's been gracious to me in this space because I have experienced amazing grace in this area of my life. I'll have plenty of wonderful stories, but the point is not to copy me. The point is to stand back and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me as a result of this message? Another person asked um, a question along the lines of the risky giving, if I can use that language that I spoke of last week, where I talked about getting on the, out on the branch where it starts to feel like it's creaking and then you see God come through with miraculous provision. And the, the question was asked, so then, is building a nest egg always wrong? Well, is it? Is building a nest egg wrong? Like take, for example, a person that's saving towards their first home or the person at the other end of the spectrum who's saving towards retirement. Is building a nest egg wrong? Well, if you look through the New Testament, just very literally, you'd probably say, yes, it is. I mean, take, for example, Jesus' um, words to the rich young ruler. Go and give all that you have and then come and follow me. Or take uh, the words of Jesus about the rich farmer who, who's filled up his barn and got excited about that and thought, I can build a bigger barn and store even more grain and take it easy. And Jesus called that man a fool. And he said, this night your soul is demanded of you and you're worried about stockpiling. Silly decision. So, is saving for the future wrong? Well, there's... That value is certainly not in the New Testament. And I just want to give a quick explanation of why. In the New Testament, the writers were very, very uh, influenced by apocalyptic expectation. Put simply, they thought the world was ending soon, the world as we knew it. They thought Jesus was returning in their lifetime. Absolutely, they thought that. And this influences their writing. So why would you have investment property? If next week Jesus is returning, you don't worry about that stuff. And their whole worldview was, was, was driven by this idea that Jesus is coming back soon. And so no, they didn't worry about assets and future savings because this was their mindset. They thought time was short. And so they didn't have this idea of future savings in view at all. Now, Another response to this question would be understanding our own personal callings. For example, Yvonne and I don't feel called to build wealth, to accumulate assets. We personally feel like God's call on our life is to have a missionary mindset. Now, that's not for everybody, and I'm glad it isn't, because when I did Bible college, an anonymous giver came along and paid for the entirety of my home payments while I went through Bible college. Now that person had millions of dollars of assets, apart from a miracle, a, a financial space that I'll never be in. But their position was great because they had all these resources, but they wanted to use it for God's glory. And my position is okay too, because I don't see the need to build assets. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, we all give account to God for how we manage our resources and our decisions are before him at the end of the day. One more quick scenario. A lady comes to me in tears for she wants to give, but her husband won't allow her to. And she's heartbroken because she feels so loyal to this church. 
and she feels so loyal to the work of God and feels paralysed that she can't give because her husband is blocking that from her. What's God think about that? Huh. Is he disappointed? I don't think so. I think he smiles upon her because he sees her heart. And this whole giving generosity arena is always a heart thing. But there's some of the things that were sparked from the message last weekend. And I just hope every message at Access, every sermon, every time we open God's word, it sparks that sort of a response in us where freshly every week we're asking that question, Lord, what, what do you want from me as a result of hearing your word today? So with the time we have left, I want to jump backwards today into the Old Testament and look at the foundations of giving for the people of God. God was calling his people into a lifestyle of generosity. And we have two brief readings today, one from Malachi 3. And I just before we get to there, I want to read two verses from the book of Proverbs. So read along with me. Proverbs 3 says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I'm not sure the people of God at the time realized that their wallet and their walk had any connection. Their wallet and their walk with God were profoundly connected, and God makes that connection for them. Then over to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 onwards. I, the Lord, do not change. So you... The descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my degrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there'll be not room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it. I want to share a message today called The First Bite Influences the Rest. The First Bite Influences the Rest. In a previous generation, kids were sent to Sunday school and the parents stayed home. And the kids got sent as kind of like a childminding experience. And in fact, in this generation, kids even walked to the church premises by themselves through the neighbourhood. So the story goes, there was one girl in such a time that was heading out the door to Sunday school on a particular day. Her mum gave her two gold coins, dollar for the offering and a dollar for the, for the ice cream on the way home. A dollar to put in the plate when she arrived at church and a dollar for the ice cream on the way home. Well, an unfortunate thing happened as that little girl was heading to church that morning. She was getting excited and she, she tripped and fell on the footbridge on the way to church. 
and, and from a hand slipped both of those dollars. One rolled off the edge of the bridge, way down into the deep water below, and the other she managed to salvage from the edge of the bridge. She looked up and said, Lord, sorry you lost your dollar. Sorry you lost your dollar. She wasn't missing out on her ice cream. She still had her dollar, but unfortunately, God lost his. Ice cream is one of my favourite foods. Actually, my favourite by a long way. It's the bee's knees. It's just a wonderful experience. I am the ice cream champion, let me tell you. I, I love it a little too much. Uh, even good old vanilla does a trick. Flavour doesn't matter. Any ice cream works. But you need to know, those of you who are uneducated in this arena, uh, there is standards when it comes to ice cream. You mentioned connoisseur and you have us ice cream fanatics very very interested you mentioned caramel pecan and we are running from a distance we'll be there asap now uh, side note on special at Woolworths this weekend i don't know if you can put it down as an essential item i can <laughs> i can anyway when yvonne and i were first married i'd be ordering an ice cream and i would ask her would you like me to order you one? Pretty straightforward question, so I thought. Would you like an ice cream, my love? Happy to get you one. Simple question. To my absolute horror, she would say, I'll just have some of yours. <laughs> no deal. No times a hundred. This is not how this marriage will roll. I don't share ice cream. Now, Yvonne knows me well now after 11 years of marriage that I have a very generous attitude to life. But this one area, ice cream, is not how it rolls. We don't share. And I'm such a generous person that I would happily buy her an ice cream and finish it off if she can't eat an entire one. I would take that hit for the team. But I don't share my ice cream. God still loves me anyway even if I've slipped in your estimation. Did you notice something in our Bible reading today? God not only wants to share, he wants the first bite. He wants the first bite. That's awful news for some of us when we think about our resources. It brings to mind images of ordering our favourite ice cream and sitting down on the park bench near the water and we're about to bite in and God says me first and that's a dreadful thought for an ice cream lover on me that's definitely a hands-on hips moment that is not okay so God calls his people to bring the first fruits the first bite I don't want to be an afterthought he says you, you've got to give me the first bite as we consider this morning, how God calls his people to engage in giving. He gives them this invitation to return, to return to me. And ultimately, it's a heart thing. Return your heart to me. But the way that's demonstrated is via returning your finance because that shows your heart. Tithing was the act of returning 10% of all that came. And this idea of first fruits or tithing, same principle today 
It, it was the understanding that God has blessed me with everything I've got. And so I returned the first fruits, the first portion to him. And it's the key idea of our series. If I understand I'm blessed, I'm ready to share. And to be blessed means there's a source behind the blessing and God wants to be acknowledged as that source. He is the blesser. And so Malachi lays down this challenge to the people of God saying, you need to return the first fruits to him. Now, first fruits is an interesting way of saying it, certainly in a modern Australian context. To them, it was the ideal term because this is an agricultural society. So it's perfect language for them. But it's confronting also. And they're confused by this conversation, particularly in verse 7, because in their worldview, They'd separated sacred and secular. They didn't realise there was any connection between their faith and the farm. They thought what they did at their home through the week was nothing to do with what they did at the house of worship. And God's saying, no, no, there is a connection between faith and farm. What you do in your workplace, I'm very interested in. And what you do in your worship, I'm expecting you to bring the work of your hands to that. Experience And they needed Malachi to spell this out to them. And they're shocked. They're shocked by this. They, they don't understand this accusation at all because he, he makes this stunning claim to them. You're robbing God. You're robbing God. What are you talking about, Mal? We've never taken any money out of the church coffers. We haven't been to the temple and snuck in and stolen. How are we robbing God? And he says, by not returning to God what rightly belongs to him, putting him first on the farm. They'd creatively opted out of this with all sorts of ingenious practices. Throughout the Old Testament, we see rituals and ceremonies and and traditions in the way that people were supposed to show their love and respect for God. Now, bear in mind, agricultural um, community. And so don't get lost in the what. Think about the why. The why was here, they're showing their heart for God through these practices. So one of these ceremonies required of them to sacrifice their animals. And this is the first fruit concepts, but it it was threatening to them. It was like taking the first bite of the ice cream. They were not at all keen on it. So they found loopholes, or what they thought were loopholes. We read about these in chapter one of Malachi. They'd look out into the paddock and they knew this idea of God wanting to take 10% you know, and, and all of these ceremonies and things that were required of them, but they'd look out and they would find a sick animal. They would find a diseased animal. They would find one that was going to cark it in the next 24 hours anyway. And they would pick that and they would say, well, that'll do. I mean, surely God would be happy, won't he? Because we've ticked the box. He's just asking us to sacrifice an animal and we're doing that. And we're happy because, I mean, I can clearly see that one's not going to last till next week anyway. So, so that's the perfect choice to fix, fix this, uh, this, this compliance matter that God's put on us of, of sacrificing. We met the requirement, didn't we, God? We met the requirement and God says, no, no, no. It's not just compliance the condition of the animal matters because you haven't actually sacrificed anything. You've given me leftovers. I'm an afterthought. 
It's like you found an ice cream on the footpath that was melting and had ants crawling all over it and you picked it up and go, oh, here's an ice cream, Lord. (laughs) He wasn't accepting of it. He wasn't happy to be an afterthought. God isn't mocked by their tricks and games. He sees it all crystal clear. He detects a lack of commitment and it's striking what he has to say about it. He says to these people, his people in Malachi 3, your theft is costing you. Your theft is costing you. A bizarre idea because the whole point of robbery is to gain something. No thief goes into business to lose money. Nobody heads to the bank with their life savings, breaks in, you know, armed and finds the safe and dumps their life savings into it and leaves. The whole point of robbing a bank is to leave richer than you arrived. No thief goes to lose, they go to gain something. But this robbery that Malachi says the people of God are doing is leading them to a cursed place. This self-absorbed lifestyle is going horribly wrong for them. And perhaps the biggest curse of all is to live only for self and have no thought of their provider and who was supplying their every need. It reminds me of when I was growing up on the family's hobby farm, which wasn't huge, five or six acres, but big enough to have a few animals. We had, you know, cows, horses, chooks, pigs at various times. Now, pigs in particular, not the most glorious of animals, let me tell you. When you live any length of time around a pig, you soon realise why it's called a pig. A random thought, Adam did a terrific job of naming the animals, didn't he? I mean, imagine when the pig first approaches Adam in Genesis and he's like working out what each animal is called and the pig approaches and Adam's first thought is butterfly. And then the pig kind of rubs its snout in the mud and looks up and and Adam would be kind of like, let me rethink that. Maybe pig, maybe pig. I think Adam got it right. You feed a pig and it just slurps down those scraps without a second thought of where they've come from. It doesn't look up and acknowledge the supply chain. And this is how the people of God were acting. They had zero connection to their supplier. And God says this arrogant attitude is costing them. They're not under his blessing. Just the opposite. They're under a curse. They're living thankless lives, avoiding returning to God. Whatever they had was a gift from God, but their lifestyle wasn't showing it. They did not return to the Lord and it was the equivalent of highway robbery and they were cursed for it. And God's response to them is, give me the first bite and you'll find that'll trigger provision and protection. Provision and protection. It's all there in the text, Malachi 3. It's incredible stuff. God lays down the gauntlet here in extraordinary terms. He says to his people, test me, try me, put me to the test. Probably one of the only times in scripture God actually says that, put me to the test, you'll find me faithful. Some push back on this whole idea of giving God the first bite, the first fruits. And you say, well, John, what if I hand my ice cream over to God and he takes a big bite a big chunk, and I, by the time I get it, there's nothing left. What if I order a triple scoop and have my fill first and then offer him the leftovers if there is any? I mean, what if I take care of my bills first 
and then think about this first fruits principle, this tithing principle, if I have enough. Well, nothing says we trust God like giving him the first bite. And my personal testimony is, as I spoke of last week, is week in, week out, as I give to the Lord, and many times it's a test. This is my experience. I'm shocked when I say, here, Lord, first bite's yours. I, I, I get back the ice cream and I'm shocked that it looks like I got a bonus scoop. That the ice cream looks bigger than it was before I handed it over to him. It's an incredible thing. Provision and protection is what's mentioned here in Malachi. God provides for his people, but God also protects his people. I love the old King James in verse 11 says, I'll rebuke the devourer. There's this, there's this thing here where God's saying, I'll go into bat for you. I'll, I'll make things last longer than they should, humanly speaking. I'll, I'll protect and I'll provide. There'll be preventative measures going on in your life about things running for longer than they should. It reminds me of a story of my heater when I was a Bible college student and the heater wasn't working. Victorian winter was getting colder and colder and colder. So I called the repairman round and he said, yeah, there's a serious problem. You need a new trigger switch in there and it's going to be a $500 repair job. Well, being a Bible college student at the time, I didn't have the $500 to repair it. And so I literally got down on the floor beside that heater and laid hands on it and prayed. It. And I said, Lord, I need you to make this heater work. I'm going to freeze without this throughout this entire winter. And amazingly, for the next five years, that heater worked. God provided, God protected, God made things work that shouldn't have worked. And two weeks after me moving out, the real estate agent rings and says, hey, the heater's not working. Did you have any problem with it when you were in there? And I'm like, hmm, might have to pray about that one. It shouldn't have worked for the last five years. The promise of Malachi 3.10 is so extravagant here. God says, see, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be enough room to store it. You're saying, John, so what I'm hearing you say, there's this formula where if I give God a dollar, I'll get $2 back. That's what I'm hearing. Well, you're hearing wrong. This is so much more holistic and fulfilling than that. This is all grace abounding towards me and Christ in every area of life. That's my story. That's my experience. And I've reached a point in my life where I would make the claim, I can't afford not to be generous. I'm just so high in high trust mode of God, his provision, his protection. I hope you can discover the same financial freedom. You say, John, I, I get it. That's your experience. And that was their experience of the people back in Malachi. But where's the boundaries around tithing nowadays? I mean, it's not a timeless principle, is it? Isn't there an expiry date? I mean, isn't this Old Testament? And doesn't that not apply anymore? Well, just because something was right under law doesn't mean it's instantly wrong under grace. Some things continue on. In one of his sparring sessions with the Pharisees, Jesus affirms tithing. In Matthew 23, he says, yes, that's, that, that continues on. So Jesus continues this principle on into the New Testament and says, bring to God what rightly belongs to him. But I think even more interestingly for me, 
fascinating thing is in the very first book of the Bible, we've got this character Abraham who's blessed tremendously by God. And out of the abundance of his heart, this is incredible. Look it up, Abraham, in the first book of the Bible, before anybody said, this is a practice you must do, Abraham is already doing it. He already offers God this, this, this first fruits, this tithing principle. Abraham is already returning before the rule. Before the rule has been written down, etched in scripture, years later, Abraham, this early godly character, is already doing it. This means it was never about the law. It was about the heart. It was about love. And this is the headspace I'm in when I give. I love God. I've been touched by the grace of God. I want to return to him as much as I possibly can because it's a life-giving experience. For those who are thinking about entering a life of generosity, know that in no way is it a drag. It's a hilarious thing in the words of the message last weekend. God desires us to have fun with this. He says, test me, try me. Let's go on an adventure together. Let me prove how faithful I am. And this first verse we read in Malachi today said, God never changes. Still today, he's up for the test. But beyond all this, I understand now tithing is just a training wheels for me to enter a life of generosity. When I began tithing, I began returning to God what was rightly his. In the language of Malachi, I just stopped stealing. But that wasn't the end of the story. If God is all I have and all I owe it all to him, then this tithing practice actually grows on me. And I get so inspired by these people who call themselves reverse tithers, meaning they live off 10% and they give 90%. You heard right. There's people out there who live off 10% and give away 90. I'm so excited by that idea and I would love to grow there one day. For now, I've adopted the challenge of Andy Stanley where he talks about incremental tither. So each year I grow my giving by a percent, sometimes 2%. But I'm only into the 20s and if I'm going to get to 90, I've got 70 years to go and... I'm going to be very old. <laughs> this series is a call to change the way we think, to see ourselves as part of God's royal family, having a generous father, living in a way that reflects that the extravagant grace of God has touched my heart. And I don't only want to think of myself anymore. I don't only want to think of my needs. I don't want to be a selfish person because the God I worship is the most generous character out there. And if I'm in his family, if I'm his son, then my life, my lifestyle, my generosity would reflect the family resemblance. We're going to close today by singing Sea of Victory. Whatever area is in your life that you need to see a victory, I pray that over you today, that God's provision would come. Whether that's a financial need, whether that's a physical need, whether that's an emotional need, today I'm praying in Jesus' name that God, you would come to your people, that you would make all grace abound to them in Christ Jesus. 
Amen.